and... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Just before Jesus' crucifixion, he met with his disciples and he said, Fast and pray that you enter not into temptation. Fast and pray that you enter not into temptation. I have a question for you. Are you tempted? Is there anything right now that tempts you? Is there an addiction? Is there anything that tempts you at all? Well, today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about how to become a spiritual triathlete. That's right. How to become a spiritual triathlete. You say, well, I don't want to become a spiritual triathlete. The whole idea of being becoming a triathlete scares me. Well, that's understandable, but God wants you to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He wants you to be prepared for everything that's coming. And he knew that the times that were coming were going to be very trying. And for trying times, the Bible shows us we ought to engage in fasting. Fast and pray that you enter not into temptation. For the spirit truly is willing, but the flesh is weak. Have you noticed that your flesh may be weak in a number of different areas? That's one of the reasons why we need to fast. Fast and pray. Yet, interesting, the Bible never really commands us other than in that area, in that particular statement that Jesus made to his disciples, doesn't really command us to fast. But Jesus was asked by the religious leaders of his day, why do your disciples not fast like the rest of us do? And Jesus said, well, when the bridegroom is with you, why should you fast? But when the bridegroom is taken away, in other words, when I ascend back to the Father, then they will fast. So the disciples engaged in fasting. Have you noticed in the Bible that when Jesus was with his disciples and with others, He did not fast. He feasted. But when he was alone, he fasted. So this idea of fasting and feasting is perpetual throughout the Bible. Fasting and feasting. You know, right there in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, we find that God himself declared seven particular feasts. They're called the Moedim, or God's specific appointed times the feasts of the Lord. God wanted his people to get together and feast together. Interestingly, very interestingly, whenever Jesus was dealing with his disciples and having a problem with them, wanting to solve a problem, he didn't call them to fast. He met with them over food. Breaking bread together, breaking barriers But then when Jesus wanted to come close to the Father, and he wanted to gain the strength and necessary uh, strength, spiritual strength, to be able to deal with what was coming, and how to truly hear from the, the Father, and to speak truth in very difficult times, he got away and fasted. Fast and pray that you enter not into temptation, for the Spirit truly is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, what is fasting? 
Fasting is mentioned more than 70 times in the Bible. It begins with a major fast by Moses on Mount Sinai with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. Are we suggesting that in order to be a spiritual triathlete, you've got to fast for 40 days and 40 nights? No, there are only four such fasts in the Bible recorded. And yet fasting was a practice to be continued. So today on Viewpoint, we're going to talk about fasting and feasting. We're going to talk about becoming a spiritual triathlete. And we have a special guest joining us with an amazing book just for our time called Fasting and Feasting, Devotions to Satisfy the Hungry Heart. Aaron, it's good to have you on the program. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited for this conversation. Well, absolutely, and uh, not many of us have an aspiration to become a triathlete, but I like the (laughs) analogy because God wants us to be able to run the race of life uh, faithfully. The Apostle Paul told us uh, that there's a race that's set before us, and we should look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, uh, and we have to run the race that is set before us to finish the race. A lot of people start the race, but they don't finish, and they don't get the prize. So uh, this whole idea of fasting and feasting really caught my attention. And can I just let you in on a little secret, Aaron? Sure. It really spoke to my heart. Oh, good. God spoke to my heart through your book, Fasting and Feasting. And so I'm very excited to be able to share it with our listeners today. Aaron Davis, our special guest Thank you, sir, for joining us here on Viewpoint, Aaron. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, I hope everyone who's listening decides after this conversation they want to be a spiritual triathlete. And well, it's not as challenging as it might seem. It takes discipline day after day, but you got the Holy Spirit to help you. Well, that's true, and uh, some of us feel like we need more than the Holy Spirit. We need some holy sugar, or we need some yeah. holy protein, or we need some holy this, that, or the other. And uh, many people today are absolutely addicted in the flesh to one thing or another. And uh, can fasting be a means of deliverance from uh, some of these uh, addictions? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a reason that the Lord, uh, when he challenges us to fast, he uses food. In the book, I talk about food as a tiger in the box. you got to take that tiger out of the box three times a day, at least three times a day and feed him, and then somehow get him back in the box, and a lot of times he ends up biting back. And so God gives us this gift. I like to say that fasting is feasting. I also like to talk about it in terms of it being a gift that many Christians leave unwrapped. It's not a mandate. Your salvation's not on the line. If you never fast, that's not what we're talking about here, but we're talking about a gift that God has handed to those of us who follow him, and it can be used to break all kinds of chains and free us from a lot of versions of idolatry, which what you're talking about there is that, anything that has control over us. Well, if that be the case, Aaron, then why is it that fasting is so rarely talked about in our churches today? I have a theory. There's a passage in the New Testament where Jesus said, when you fast, which we should pause right there and think Uh about that statement. Now, it was a Middle Eastern context, different from ours, but Jesus' assumption was his followers were going to fast. And then he said, don't fast like the Pharisees. They do it in public. They draw attention to themselves. He said they receive their reward in full. But when you fast, go in your room, close your door, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So we take that to mean, oh, if I fast, I can never tell anybody because I'm being pharisaical. Well, that's silly because Jesus himself talked about fasting. He talked about his own fast. He never made it taboo for us to talk about them. 
But he so also, he, not, but we also find Aaron that Jesus only fasted in private. We don't find any well, indication that Jesus fasted with his disciples. They were part of these were part of religious rituals of Jewish rituals. We could take trace that back all the way to Leviticus twenty three, where God was giving his people these rhythms for their life. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we probably don't see a corporate fast in the New Testament, but that would have been a really normal rhythm of Jewish life. They would have fasted during some of their specific holidays as outlined in the Old Testament. So I think what he was saying is, listen, if you're fasting for man's attention, go ahead. You'll get everything you came for. But if you're fasting because you want to, you want to pray, you want the Lord to do something big in your life, you need an intervention that only God can do, then that's a heart attitude. So Absolutely. We've been talking about it for a very long time, and so people don't know what it looks like. So the heart of the matter is the heart. We're going to be back with Erin uh, in just a few moments, friends. you got to get a copy of her book, Fasting and Feasting. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Fasting and praying that we enter not in temptation. Men aren't always to pray and not to faint, but oftentimes when Jesus was praying, he was fasting as well. What is it about fasting and temptation, prayer and temptation, prayer and fasting, that helps us to become a spiritual triathlete? Well, one of the things that we find is that a triathlete doesn't usually prepare in public. A triathlete usually prepares in private. He's not out there on the field with thousands or millions of people watching his performance. No, he's doing it in private. Now, he's doing it in private because he needs the strength to be able to perform in public. Well, maybe some of us aren't able to perform in public the way we should because we haven't prepared in private. Our special guest today, Erin Davis, with her book, Fasting and Feasting. And I want to make a book, uh, the book available to you, friend, because it's going to be so inspiring. Yes, you say inspiring about fasting. Well, it's about fasting and feasting. It's about a much bigger picture for our lives because we want to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, putting on the whole armor. Well, fasting has to do with putting on the armor as well as does feasting. The book is yours. It's a $16 book, yours for $14 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And by the way, fasting breaks strongholds, doesn't it, Aaron? It absolutely does. And you know, wouldn't we all like to think we don't have any strongholds in our lives? But in First Peter, we read, a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. So any Ooh. number of things can become a stronghold. Death. You mentioned that food is a common one, and it really is, but it's kind of an acceptable one. Like, we all, don't we all overeat? Don't we all have a sugar tooth? Don't we all, aren't we all addicted to caffeine? And I think Scripture would challenges us 
not to let anything master us. Now, wait just a minute. You're getting into meddling here, aren't you? I mean, I just have my <laughs> cup of java here. I found it is the best way for uh, the soothing of my throat during a radio program. And uh, even as I picked this up today, I thought, you know what, Lord? I wonder if maybe I'm too dependent upon this. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe I need to uh, forbear uh, the coffee along the broadcast uh, a few times uh, because I don't want it to have dominion over me. Is that a right yeah, thinking? Yeah, I mean, that's an unpopular opinion, but the Lord did the exact same thing in my life several years ago. It's constantly irritable, and I didn't want to be irritable with my kids or my husband or my friends. I want to be a woman of grace. And the Lord helped me see the connection between the way I was behaving and an addiction to caffeine. Now, is mm. caffeine morally wrong? No, nobody's going to make that argument that it is. Um, but the Lord is always trying to shape us more into His image, and there definitely could be a connection between some of the food choices you're making or drink choices you're making and some other areas of your life that the Lord would want to bring under His control. Well, how about entertainment choices? I mean, isn't mm. it possible for people to become addicted to television or addicted to their, their cell phone or addicted to their uh, iBook or iPhone or whatever it is? Well, absolutely. But to bring it back to fasting, I think we often will say in these times, like, it doesn't have to be food that you fast from. It could uh-huh. be social media. It could be TV. <laughs> I said that publicly. Well, that might be more painful to some people than fasting from food. It, it might. But a woman challenged me on that. She said, actually... In Scripture, it's always food. She was right, with one exception. Uh-huh. In the New Testament, Paul sometimes tells married couples they can fast from intimacy to pray. So while you might be more addicted to social media or to TV or to whatever, you can live without it. In fact, you're probably going to start to feel really good after 24 to 48 hours without it. Food okay. starts the same. You have to have it to survive. All right, and we need food to survive. We need food to survive, uh, to live, and... Uh apparently Jesus thought that he needed fasting in order to live successfully. Mm. Doesn't it appear that way to you? I don't know that Jesus needed anything, but he modeled for us this rhythm. And when you look at Scripture, you're going to see these dueling rhythms both featured in God's Word. He does call us to fast, and the Christian life is a life of denial, and Jesus modeled that. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, and then he actually picked up a cross. Um, but then we also see these, this, Jesus said he came to give us abundant life. Mm-hmm. We see these celebrations that it's to be a joy-filled, happy life, and both of those can be modeled in our food. And Jesus modeled those. You know, people who got on to him for eating on the Sabbath, he was like, come on, food was made for man. That's what, that's what it's for. And he mm-hmm. would have to have these feast and his miracle at the wedding was his first miracle and then he would practice self-denial of course he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights that you mentioned we aren't all going to be called to take it on to the level that he did but he was modeling this rhythm of joy-filled abundant life and self-sacrifice because god is better he's a better portion he's worthy of whatever sacrifice we have to make for his glory well you know i would actually almost take issue with you on one thing you said aaron okay (laughs) taking issue is not arguing by the way Uh, we don't argue on this program we do uh, (laughs) discuss things openly and you said well i'm not sure that jesus needed anything well you're thinking of him as god 
but he was man on the earth. You're right. He had well, to eat. Well, he was incarnate. He, he had, had to eat, had. and I believe that he did need to fast. He knew he needed to fast because he needed that because he was here in the flesh. Yep. And so because he was here in the flesh, he knew he needed to fast in order to take dominion over his flesh to be able to accomplish what God called him to do. All right, you convinced me. You're right. During the incarnation, he had me. Okay, so I was a good attorney and uh, pleaded the cause, and the jury uh, gave me a verdict. Okay, that's good. You know why? Because you were totally grounded in Scripture, and when we're grounded in Scripture, we're on the right track. Okay, now, uh, you mentioned a 40-day fast. Jesus had a 40-day fast. Uh, Moses did, and I think uh, Elijah did as well. Uh, However... I'm not convinced that we should necessarily set a 40-day fast as the uh, as the goal for every Christian, or even if you want to be a spiritual triathlete, uh, because those fastings were without food and water, as I recall. Yeah, and what the thing about fasting in Scripture is it's never formulaic, so it's not one size fits all. We see lots of different kinds of fasts. We see lots of different lengths of fasts. We see lots of different reasons for fasting. Mm -hmm. And when people hear this conversation, then they go, okay, tell me how to do it. Well, it's like everything else in the Christian life. It requires abiding. It requires listening to the shepherd's voice in your own life. It probably requires seeking some wisdom. So I don't think Scripture establishes 40 days as, okay, if you really become a super Christian, you're eventually going to get to 40 days. No, 40 is a number with some significance in Scripture. I don't know that we understand all of those, but, yeah. you know, Esther called for a three-day fast, for mm-hmm. example. Right. Um, sometimes they fasted from sun up to sundown, just one day. So I wouldn't want to go like, oh, this is the, we want to, we want there to be levels. We want to go, right. okay, I start here and I go to here and then I'm going to get to here. There's no trophy for being, you know, the world's best faster. It's about what the world's <laughs> heart. You know so what? Again, what, what one of bring, the... bringing it back to the heart. One of the problems with that is that uh, people can become proud with their fasting ability. Absolutely. Uh, and, Absolutely. and so we don't want that either because uh, that leads us into a terrifying temptation because uh, uh, God hates pride. So we don't want to be involved in pride because of our much fasting. In fact, the religious leaders of Jesus day, uh, got involved in pride because of their fasting and they, you know, they got out there and they, uh, looked bad and they made themselves look like they were fasting. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way at all. If you're going to fast, go into your closet, go in your closet, do it in private. And the Lord who sees in private will reward you openly. All right. I, I did a little preparation here just to see uh, what kind of fast the Bible had uh, uh, revealed to us. And you talked about a one-day fast from sunrise to sunset, a three-day fast. Esther talk uh, called for that. Then there was a seven-day fast for wisdom and, and guidance, and a ten-day fast of vegetables and water. Only Daniel uh, there in right. the Old Testament engaged in a ten-day fast. Then there was a 14-day fast. Paul and the men on the ship were fasting for food and protection because they were in deep trouble. Uh, A 21-day fast, uh, Daniel engaged in that for a time of distress and mourning over Israel. And then there was the 40-day fast. So we have all of those different fasts, and we don't find God commanding any of them except perhaps with Moses. 
Right. Yeah, and I would take it one step further. For the us as New Testament believers, it is not a command. We are under the new covenant. Our salvation is grace alone through faith alone, period. It's in Christ alone. Uh-huh. In Christ alone. He doesn't command it of us. But I would, I'd frame it this way. I think that all mature followers of Jesus will at some point have a sense, something like, should I fast? Why don't I ever hear about mm-hmm. fasting? I keep seeing fasting in my Bible. I don't know anything about it. We will have this sense that it's something that we should try. All right. And well, let me, let me just, uh, about it, we don't know what to do. Okay. Uh, trying, uh, that, mm. I understand what you're saying, but uh, if we really are serious and sincere about uh, really dealing with the issues in our life, getting direction before God, uh, dealing with uh, things that have a stronghold in our life, aren't we going to be more drawn to just to do more than just trying to fast? As if well, somehow this is it. just go ahead. If, you, if you're going to make a vow to the Lord, you better keep it. I mean, that's all for sure. <laughs> and so I don't mean try it, and the moment you get hungry, you quit. I In other mean, words, you don't say, mean try it, and you might like it. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, you have this sense that maybe it's something you should be doing, but you're mm-hmm. not sure. And I've had women say, oh, "I tried, and I got a headache," or "I tried, and my brain got foggy. I must have been doing it wrong." And I'm like. No, you're actually doing it right. Like God built your body mm-hmm. to need food. There's going to be those physical repercussions. I've, I have taken on several long fasts, and there's always a point where I think I must have heard from the Lord wrong. I, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this. And that's mm-hmm. when you need wise Christians around you to say, "My husband's so good about this." No, you committed. You told the Lord you were going to do this. Mm-hmm. Go the distance. So I don't mean dabble in it, but I mean it's that sense right. of maybe this is something that you need to learn more about exactly now question aaron do you believe that we're in times uh, immediately preceding perhaps the second coming oh absolutely so don't you think that that would indicate that this might be a serious moment to consider fasting absolutely i think of a story of a man who was on his deathbed and some friends went to visit him and he was fasting and here he was you know at the end of his life and they know he needed food and his friend said why are you fasting he was like because i am about to see jesus there is no more important thing for me to be doing than fasting and praying before i'm with him face to face and that's the position we're in church jesus could come in a moment in the twinkle of an eye and of course we have to go on living and doing laundry and driving kids to soccer and all those things we can't just hold ourselves up in our home and pray because people need the gospel but it is the era to fast and pray mm. with a lot of diligence and somberness, because when he comes back, the, those who are apart from him don't have another chance, and so we really need to be praying for his return. Scripture seems to indicate we can hasten his return through our prayers, mm. and for those who don't know him. As I uh, began to prepare for the program today, and I got into your book, Aaron, I have to tell you, uh, the Holy Spirit really spoke to my heart and said, son, Mm -hmm. this is time for you to fast again. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me just share something briefly with you and our listeners. The year was 1996, and uh, I was just under a a terrible burden for our country and particularly for the church. Everybody had been talking about revival, this, that, or the other. 
But, you know, I, I didn't really sense that people were serious, not really serious. Uh, they want to repent or of everybody right. else's sin, but yeah. they didn't want to repent of their own. And the church was in a terrifying position. So I was as well. And my wife said, Chuck, you got to get out of here and hear from God. Mm. It was affecting my health. And so she made a way for me to uh, take a week off for prayer and fasting at a prayer place called Prayer Mountain, uh, just north of Colorado Springs. Uh, they're right on the shore uh, slopes of Pikes Peak, America's Mountain. And so I did that. And uh, as a result of that, it resulted, one week of prayer and fasting resulted in a, uh, a document. It started out as an open letter to the church, and then it resulted in a lawsuit filed against the church on behalf of God, Jehovah God, the Lord of Nations, versus the spiritual leaders of America. It was served on 350 of the most important well-known leaders in the church today and it preceded a special event we'll be right there back. is so much more about chuck chris meyer and save america ministries on our website saveus.org for example under the marriage section god has marriage on his mind chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. Our special guest is Aaron Davis with her book, Fasting and Feasting, uh, Devotions to Satisfy the Hungry Heart. And I hope your heart is hungry. I believe that it is. Uh, and this book is going to minister to you deeply. It really is. Easy to read. Read. It's actually designed for 40 days. Uh, not 40 days of fasting necessarily, but 40 days to get our attention concerning our hearts. And uh, it's it's yours. It's a $16 book for $14 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And I believe it might be the most important book that you read, other than maybe my books. <laughs> the most important book you read this year. Really? Maybe more important than my book. So uh, get a copy of the book. Now, Aaron, I want to finish this little story because it actually actually was a big story. I didn't realize how big it would be. Now, somebody might think, well, you know, writing a lawsuit, 28-page lawsuit with all the points and authorities taken from the Scripture and serving it on 350 of the uh, most important leaders, spiritual leaders in the land would be a big thing. But what I did not realize is how big it actually would be. After I served that lawsuit, within a week, I received a call from a woman who said that uh, what when she received the lawsuit, 
She said it had spoken so deeply to her heart because what you didn't know, Chuck, is that I'm scheduled to be, uh, be the keynote speaker at Fasting and Prayer 96 in St. Louis, where 4,000 Christian leaders are scheduled to attend. And uh, she said, when I received this lawsuit, it answered, God used this to tell me what to say in my keynote address. She said, I was so disturbed about what I should say and how to say it. And when I got this, it answered my prayer. She ended up giving that keynote address called Begin at My Sanctuary. It was so profound that it ended up being put in print all over the country and reprinted. Begin at My Sanctuary. It was the closest, most uh, concise call to genuine biblical repentance that this nation had received in probably a hundred years. Wow. We just never know why God is calling us to do something, do we? It became, it came from one week of serious prayer and fasting. Amazing. Now, just so uh, I don't get too carried away here in, in pride, for instance, I thought, okay, well, I've just gone through a week of prayer and fasting. How about if I do 40 days? Mm. So I committed myself to 40 days, and after 21 days, something very not good was happening in my body. Something very not good. And so I went to my wife. She says, Chuck, I I think you're just going to have to discontinue. I said, I agree. Because that fast I did not do wisely. I didn't have the necessary, uh, oh, what do they call them? Uh, and the word is skipping my mind. Anyway, essential for our life and electrical system in our body. And as a result, uh, it affected my health significantly for a long time. Hmm. We have to be very careful about how we fast, don't we? Absolutely. And Jesus, um, he was... Electrolytes, electrolytes, that's the word that I needed. We need those electrolytes. You remembered it while we were still talking. Exactly. (laughs) But Jesus was physically impacted by that long fast. He had to have angels come and minister to him. Well, that's true. so weak. And so it, 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 it is serious business. And just because we're making a sacrifice for the Lord doesn't mean... He's going to take away all the consequences. That's not how it works. He created our bodies to need those mm-hmm. electrolytes. Could he override yeah. that? Sure, he could, but likely won't. So well, that actually caused me to fear life. fasting uh, for myself mm-hmm. because of the effect that it had on me, uh, not to mention the fact that I have a tendency toward hypoglycemia, uh, mm-hmm. which is the dropping of blood sugar. Uh, and when that happens, it, it can be a very, very unpleasant, sometimes dangerous thing. So we have to be careful uh, when we fast, but it doesn't mean that we can't or shouldn't fast. And I have to tell you, Aaron, that when I I, I got your book and began to read, the Lord prompted me to say, son, it's time to fast again. Mm. Well, I can't wait to see the result of your obedience there. I mean, the Lord doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. Fasting's not about twisting God's arm as if, as if we could do such a thing. But by some 
mystery that is too profound for us to understand, he does invite us to partner with him through his work in the world. He does indicate that our prayers matter, and it's not like fasting makes you extra special to him or makes your prayers extra potent. It's it's following his example. It's being mm-hmm. obedient. It's trusting him with your daily life. It's as simple as, Lord, as I'm hungering for food right now, help me to hunger and thirst for righteousness, because you promised me that is a good attitude to have. And as my body is reminding me to eat right now, your spirit is reminding me to pray about whatever this is that you have asked me to fast for. So, yeah, we got to take it on carefully. But what about the Christian life do we not have to take on carefully? Exactly. We need other people around us. But what about the Christian life? Do we not need other people? We're dependent on the Holy Spirit. We're dependent on the Holy Spirit for everything. So don't let that scare you off. I appreciate your story because I do think there's some people that are fearful about this. I I asked my own pastor who I adore and is a man who loves the Lord. I said, would you teach on fasting? And he said, no, I won't because I don't fast, and I don't want to teach on something that I'm not doing. Appreciate the integrity there, but I was like, all of our pastors should be fasting. It's just such a... It's such a powerful tool in the hand of God's mm. people that he's given us to tear down strongholds, as we've talked about. Well, see, the problem with that is, and this answers the question why you don't hear teaching about it uh, in in our churches, because we have an entitlement mentality today. Yeah, I'm entitled to food. I'm entitled to feel good. I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to that. And it doesn't market well. This right. program today doesn't market well. Avoided. Yeah, you're right. And I knew that, but we're not, I didn't, God didn't call me to leave the practice of law at the height of my career to plea this ultimate cause of a lifetime to a jury of my peers to make, to, to sell things or to market something. That's our big problem. We think we can market the gospel, but what's happened is that the market has become the master and the master has become nothing but a mascot. And, uh, I think the whole concept of genuine prayer and fasting helps us to be delivered from this idea that the gospel is something to be marketed. It's so true. Let me give a real quick list of physical reasons to fast. You can look up these verses, but fasting before you make an important decision. We see that in Acts 13 and 14. Right. Fasting to overcome addiction. We already talked about that. We see that in Isaiah 56. Fasting for God's intervention, we see that in 2 Samuel 12. Fasting as an act of humility, we see that lots of places, lots right. of places, Psalm 35, 13. Fasting in response to grief or mourning, I mentioned Esther's fast, that's also in Psalm 35. It's interesting, when you're in a period of grief, sometimes your body fasts on its own. It naturally goes into a not wanting to eat. Well, Scripture tells us that's an appropriate response. Uh, fasting to request God's protection. Again, that's in Esther and in Ezra 8. Fasting mm-hmm. when we want to set apart Christian leaders for service. That's in Acts 13. The disciples were fasting and sending out, fasting and sending out, fasting and sending out. Fasting in repentance. That's in Joel chapter 2. That's fasting a big one. Leaders. That's, that's a, a big huge one. one. Huge one. And fasting as spiritual leaders who want to see God work among your people. You don't have to be the leader of a nation. That's in Jonah. You could be a leader of a family. You could be a a leader of a marriage. You could be a leader of a Bible study. And you Mm. want to see God move fast for your people. Not to mention the fact that a lot of our heroes, we've mentioned a lot of them, Moses, David, Ezra, Esther, Daniel, the elders, Jesus, they all fasted. So if for no other reason than us saying, these are the people we admire, these are the ones running the race a few laps ahead of us, 
and they fasted, and all these other reasons Scripture gives us, Bible really does compel us to this discipline. Okay. Boy, thank you for giving us that uh, quick rundown there. And uh, it shows us that whenever the Holy Spirit motivates us in a particular uh, need, a particular area or something, uh, this is one of the premier premier biblical ways to respond to uh, that that call. And right. the length of the spa- fast is something, uh, if you've never done it before, don't try a 21-day fast, uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, maybe a three-day fast. Uh, My experience is if you ask the Lord, he'll tell you. If yeah, you say, there you okay, go. Lord, I want to fast. What does that look like for me? And, you know, it probably won't be a note that comes right down from heaven, but you know the shepherd's voice. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He's going to guide you. And so I wouldn't worry as much about the how. I'd start with the, the willingness and the why, and the Lord's going to take it from there. He, yeah. He'll show you. And in the last segment of the program, we're going to talk about uh, feasting, uh, because oh, your book is Feasting and Fasting, and uh, uh, that also is a spiritual enterprise uh, whenever the children of Israel were to get together for important times, they were called to feast, to feast before the Lord and to and to joyfully feast before the Lord. But before we go into this next break, I want to mention this. We used to sing a song back in the 60s, I think it was, longing, longing for Jesus. I have a longing in my heart for him just to be near him. To feel his presence, I have a longing in my heart for him. Mm. It seems to me that fasting is one of the ways to express that longing and to have God respond to it. What say you? Well, I think I'd take it one step further. It's one of the ways to grow that longing. I just had this conversation with my sons at dinner yesterday. I made meatball sliders and a salad. They all wanted the meatball sliders. Nobody wanted the salad. They oh, come on. Those veggies, they're good for you. <laughs> I said, the more you eat the good stuff, the more you'll crave the good stuff. And that is true in our physical realm. The more you start eating those fruits and vegetables, you're going to start to crave them. The more you deny yourself the junk, the less you're going to crave it. But the spiritual (laughs) parallel is so true. The more you crave the Lord, the more you open his word, the more you're going to want to open his word, the more you're with his people, the more you're going to want to be with his people. So even if that longing inside you, if you're honest, you're not longing for Jesus, All right. We'll be back with uh, Aaron after this. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church.
To become a spiritual triathlete, you have to both eat and fast. Eat and fast. You have to discipline yourself, but you also have to eat, and you have to eat heartily. The same is true in our spiritual lives, you see. Isn't it interesting that as with the natural, so with the spiritual? And so our guest today, Aaron, Aaron Davis, with her book Fasting and Feasting, gets the balance right. It's not just about fasting. It's about feasting also. And whenever Jesus, have you noticed, Aaron, that whenever Jesus had to deal with a difficult thing with his disciples or with anyone else, you found him feasting? It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, he was a great partier. I mean, not in a worldly way, but he ate with his disciples. He enjoyed being with his disciples. You think of the Last Supper where he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. And he Mm -hmm. made all those arrangements. He secured that upper room. He made sure there was food. He wanted them to eat a a wonderful meal together before their world was going to implode. He knew what was coming. And he uses that kind of imagery and those experiences all throughout the New Testament. So we want things to be so black and white. We either want to put food in the good or the bad categories. We want to be all in in one direction or the other. But um, Jesus' example and his word just calls us to a much more, I don't even want to use the word balance, because Scripture doesn't call us to balance. Scripture calls us to abiding, but to the joy that can be found in both rhythms. Oftentimes, uh, within the church, within the Christian community, uh, we talk about communion or the Eucharist, depending on uh, yeah. what particular area in the church you're from. And uh, the temptation is to substitute that formality for a genuine meal. And yeah. when we find in, for instance, First Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's talking about this this meal, and he said, when you're coming together, some of you embarrassingly are coming to overeat, you're coming mm-hmm. to, to drink, you're not, you're not uh, considerate of one another, and uh, how can you do that if you're truly part of the body of Christ? One of the things that uh, we have done, and we, we've had a, a large house church for 28 years now, And one of the things that we do, and I just sent out the email for it yesterday to remind people that on the first of first gathering of each month, we break bread together after our uh, meeting. Mm -hmm. We have a a gathering together. Everybody brings food. It is a great time of friendship and fellowship and warmth so that the kingdom of God is more than just physical or spiritual words. It's actually eating, breaking bread together, that fellowship of the believers. In fact, the scripture actually says they essentially those who break bed together break barriers together. Mm. So, uh, in fact, my wife and I actually wrote a book called The Power of Hospitality. One of the chapters is Breaking Bread, Breaking Barriers. So this is a very, very important aspect of the fellowship of the saints, isn't it? Yeah, in fact, if nothing else, you're rehearsing from heaven. We see in the book of Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, Mm -hmm. where people from every tongue, tribe, and nation come to this feast. 
I think we have biblical reason to believe we're going to eat in heaven. We have this idea that we're going to be these, you know, like floating blobs. Well, Scripture doesn't uh, support that. And when Scripture describes heaven, it describes this massive feast where we are Christ's bride, we're united with our groom. It's a party. Well, I don't think we're going to be eating pickled pig's feet there at that uh, wedding supper of the lamb. but. value and uh, you mentioned this is something that is becoming increasingly rare for families to sit down and eat together that is a travesty it's breaking it's breaking one of the the greatest uh environments for ministry in a family you're totally right and all of take take a christian lens off of it all of the social science affirms that how important that is for kids' development, how essential it is for marriage, how important it is for learning conflict resolution, for keeping your bonds healthy in your family. That is mm. an anchor. And, you know, it. families are so busy, mine included, um, that that's not the norm anymore. And it really is something we should claw our way back to because it is so, so, so important. Plus, our tables are a place of outreach. I mean, there is a, there's, it's so easy to invite the new family at church to your house for lunch after church or to invite mm-hmm. your neighbor to join your family for a meal. It is a ministry opportunity that we miss, and there's no supplement substitute for it in fast food. There just isn't. It, no. There's no equivalent. Well, you're, you're speaking to the heart of hospitality, and that's why my wife mm-hmm. and I wrote this book, uh, because we believe that the, the, one of the principal elements of expressing godly and Christian love is through the ministry of hospitality. And it's not a matter of bringing people in to your silver spread. It's a matter of an open heart, an open hand, and an open home that will change your world if you allow God to do it. Yeah, it can be ham sandwiches. It can be popcorn. I mean, the point is that people come into your home and experience the love of Christ. I hope that when people come into our home, there's something on their insides that goes, oh, they may not even mm-hmm. overtly recognize what's happening. We know what's happening, which is that we are a home that loves Jesus, and we have prayed for them and are glad to have them in our midst. But, yeah, it's that sense of, it's the heart of it. We've been talking about the heart this whole time together. It's that heart of you are welcome here, and Jesus, you are welcome with Jesus. And it goes such a long way. Well, we've talked about fasting we've talked about uh, praying and we've talked about breaking bread together eating mm, what we eat what yeah, absolutely what we eat is important to god isn't it it absolutely is it, there's a reason why scripture says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do everything for the glory of god it's not like the the holy spirit who invi- who inspired those words just thought oh i'll just pick an example out of the air okay eating and drinking no it's way more purposeful than that. And the point mm-hmm. is exactly what the verse says. Whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do it all for God's glory. So for me, a real important shift has happened in asking the question 
about stewardship. You know, mm. there's that great passage that talks about everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. That's very Pauline, right? Right. Ron Paul wrote that. And it so applies to food. Can I, can I eat whatever, insert whatever your junk food of choice is? Can I eat it in freedom in Christ? Yeah, I can. But is it a good stewardship of my limited energy, <laughs> my limited calories? I probably should have some limits on those. Does it make me feel good? Does it make me treat other people well? Does it steward my body well? I'm, I'm learning so much about this right now. I think we've kind of thought of ourselves as spiritual beings and ignore the body. Well, that's gotten a lot of Christians sidelined from ministry because their bodies have responded to the choices they've made or have not made. And I want to serve Jesus till my very last breath. I don't want to be benched at any point in the game because I couldn't control what I ate. And so, yeah, he cares about what we eat because he cares about us. And he's created our body. He's created our body to need certain things and not do well with other certain things. And he has called us to what we keep referring to, the race. And uh, if you're going to run the race of faith all the way to the end, it's going to take discipline on every front. So I think the question is not, can I eat this? Or should I eat that? It's what's the stewardship decision here, the best stewardship decision for the body God's given me. Someone once said, whenever I see the word exercise, I wash my mouth out with chocolate. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's someone. (laughs) But it it shows us the temptations that we have, uh, and God is looking for us to lead a balanced life, uh, one that is a joyful life, one that, uh, yes, has freedom in Christ, but if you're really in Christ, you're a new creature. Right. And old things of the flesh are passed away, and yeah. all things are become new. So freedom doesn't necessarily mean uh, carte blanche, uh, eating whatever, uh, or doing whatever, or... Uh, I mean, it's a matter of discipline, and the word discipline yeah. just doesn't seem to have a place in today's uh, churchianity. You're totally right, and I, I can only speak for women because I am a woman, and I hear this from a lot of women. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can you say you're a woman? We have a Supreme Court justice that couldn't even say that. Uh, well, I can say it with confidence and with okay. gratitude, but All right. of just a checking. lot of women, if they were honest and you were to say, do you have freedom in the area of food? She would say, no, she feels enslaved by it. She feels enslaved by her own cravings. She feels enslaved then by the shame that she can't have better self-control. So freedom, as you said, it is not the freedom to eat the entire bag of chips because you're not going to feel free when you do that. It is instead the freedom to live for Christ unhindered by any number of things. We're talking about food in this uh, conversation, but it could be any number of things. You have time for a quick fasting story? I don't know how much time. Go ahead, quickly. All right. I took a, I undertook a fast before my 40th birthday. Uh-huh. And I thought the Lord was going to use that fast to commission me. Instead, what he used that fast for to do was to convict me of a lot of sin. And I thought, Whoa. Well, this is uncomfortable. Well, many months later, my, my baby kind of wandered away. We live on a farm, and I, I could see him in the field. He was a dot on the horizon. I started to run toward him. And I had I threw everything off. I threw my shoes off. I threw my earrings off. I had a little jacket on. I threw that off. And I got to that baby boy. And in my quiet time that day, the Lord showed me that that's what that fast was about. 
It was about throwing off sin patterns, throwing off things that were not of him so that I could run the race of faith unhindered and hard for as long as the days he's given me. And I, that's the call I'd leave your listeners with, is that let God take off whatever it is in yeah, your exactly. life. That is a, that's a beautiful, a beautiful testimony there. And, uh, it goes back to the longing for Jesus. Mm. I have a longing in my heart for him just to be near him, to feel his presence. But, you know, we've got to shed all the things that the weights that do easily beset us so that we can run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, Aaron, you've been a great blessing. That's freedom. Mm. That's true freedom in Christ, isn't it? You, it you've is. uh, been such a blessing here. Thank you so much for your book. And uh, I'm going to be delighted to personally apply this again in my life. I have done many fasts over the years. My wife and I have been married now for 56 and a half years. And... Uh, I have been really seriously considering thinking that I, even though I had that one bad experience, I cannot allow that to control the rest of my life. And uh, we're, we're, we're serious about what we're doing here on Viewpoint. Mm-hmm. We really are. Uh, we don't take this lightly. This is a unique calling to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. And that's what we're doing even today. Pray for us and our listeners right now, if you would, that we'll be strong to persist in this. Oh, Lord, everything is by you, everything is for you, and we want our lives to show that to the world. And I thank you for my friend Chuck, for his ministry, for his bold call to Christians, and I pray that you would help him to obey. He's, he's been bold. He's told us he's supposed to fast. Help him to do that. I pray that you would call many, many more of us to fast and pray as we await your return. We love you, Lord can't wait to see you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, you got to get the book, Fasting and Feasting uh, Devotions, 40 of them to satisfy the hungry heart. It's an 18 to $16 book. Yours for $14 on our website, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries and consider becoming a partner with us. Truly, we're taking seriously, preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour for those who are willing to listen. You know, you know that others need to listen. We need to get the message out more broadly. So go to the website, saveus.org, make your generous gift, become a monthly partner, and uh, I believe that God will bless you. It's one more way of giving ourselves to Him. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.